Yeah. Uh, 900 francs in uh, French money. <laughs> they, they still use that over there, don't they? I'm, I'm sure, yeah. Yeah. Um, welcome to North v South, the podcast that is and isn't about design. I'm John Elliman, and on the other end of the line is Rob Turpin. Uh, Hello. We, Hello. Uh, yeah, we. Um, if you haven't listened to us before, then we are two privileged white men talking a <laughs> load of nonsense. Much the same as every other podcast. Yes, and also we've uh, we are now we're hunted by the government, Rob. Podcasts are, are uh, yeah, podcasts are full of moaners and uh, people who don't who don't want this country. Are we to part succeed. of the work? Are we part of the work brigade? Yeah, if you're from North London or you have a podcast, that's it. Yeah. Game over. Uh, damn it. Uh, so how are you, John? I'm okay. Yes, I'm. I'm very tired and a little bit under the weather in terms of uh, a bit of a bit of a cold. Um, it's that time of year, isn't it? Hmm. I haven't. I'm just saying. I haven't. I haven't braved the heating yet. Um, so it's a bit chilly in this house. Yeah, you should uh, put the heating on. Get yourself a hot toddy. Get a hot water bottle. I've got Bro. some merino merino layers on, Rob. Have you? Yeah. You're close to the sheep today. Mm. You got your well, gin and tonic. Nice glass of cider. So we normally start with the uh, what's on our desks, but I think today we should start with the sad news about Kim Jong Ji. Okay. So if you don't know. Kim Jung-ji. He's uh, an illustrator and comic artist, muralist, teacher, uh, and probably one of the most talented draftsmen ever. Uh, this incredible ability to to draw everything from seemingly any angle and viewpoint uh, straight off the cuff without any uh sketching first he just uh draw away with a brush pen on a on a you know on a board and just create the most marvelous intricate worlds full of people and giants and teddy bears and motorbikes and guns and monsters and uh, uh, an absolutely astonishing talent um twitter and sort of social media today has just been I watched with people really sad at losing him, um, not just for his kind of ridiculous generational talent, but uh, he was apparently a, an incredibly nice guy and incredibly humble, um, really full of joy about art and illustration and took a lot of joy in sort of bringing other artists on. He had a kind of a, a cooperative group of artists that he sort of helped publish and did tours with and yes incredibly sad so if you can hop on youtube and look up kim jung ji's work you'll be blown away i think yeah if you haven't seen a live footage of him actually working it's a uh, an absolute treat i watched a a little video of how he draws kind of the, his process and he was talking and i don't know how much of this was tongue-in-cheek or how much of it was uh, almost just kind of how he visualizes how he thinks but he talked about when he draws something he almost creates a, a little character or a series of characters that he in his head he puts into the situation 
and then sees the world through their eyes. Wow. So he can kind of place them in a street from a different viewpoint and visualize the street from that little character's point of view and then draw it. <laughs> That's really, I, I mean, I don't know if you, if there's, there's any way you can kind of learn to, to draw like him. And he's just astonishing. No, I think that's uh, a that's a very rare ability, isn't mm. it? Um, and sometimes he's sort of he sees in different like camera angles. So he might be a, like a fisheye view, or it yeah. might be a telescopic. Or it's it's incredible that he could shift and change the way he looked Just at the world. Absolutely remarkable. Just with black ink and a brush. Mm. And yeah. there's no draw. There's no pre drawing, is there? No. Um, I mean, he did say in this this video I saw today that he does sometimes use reference, but he's trained himself to look at things and remember how they look. And he's, you know, he spent twenty or thirty years doing that, um, and he just has this incredible visual library. You know, he can draw a motorbike from any angle accurately, and a biplane, or a, I don't know, you, you know, the inside of a washing machine. It's just incredible. Oh, gone, gone far too soon. I mean, he was what, yeah. he, 47? 40, 47, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Very, very sad day for the illustration world. So, so um, what else? What else have we got, John? What's been on your desk this week? Have you? I know you've had a busy week, but have you managed to? Uh, well, I'm kind of, I'm kind of back to work full time this week. Um, after last few weeks. Uh, no, I, I say last few weeks. I say the whole summer, <laughs> but we've had a couple of weeks of uh, of family sadness and um, and celebration. But I have been uh, just before then. I've um, I've been photographing lots of knobs and knockers, Rob. You filthy beast! Yeah, uh, I got sent a box by a client, um, uh, a client who is my brother-in-law. I have to point out. Um, so uh, yeah, yeah, it makes it easy uh <laughs> that um just a whole box full of knobs and knockers and how do you how do you items. typically photograph your knobs well uh with a lot of light um and uh i i don't know i'm not a professional photographer so i don't I, firstly i don't know why i was you know why i'm doing this <laughs> so <laughs> secondly reflective things are a nightmare to photograph yeah. um and um, and I don't have any equipment to do it, so it was a lot of tissue paper to try and dampen down reflections and all that yeah. kind of stuff. Uh, but I only had six shots to do. Um, it's taken me like three days, but uh, I got there in the end. <laughs> and you realise that with objects like that, you either have to have a camera that's very very far away so everything's in focus, or yeah. if like me, you're in a tiny little box room, you have to work out a way of making the whole image in in focus or just mm. saying well actually the whole image is going to be you know there's only going to be a bit in focus yeah. but because it's a product you can't really do that can you but there's really? this uh a you tried modern focus stacking yeah mo modern cameras have an amazing ability to focus stack um unfortunately they do it as jpegs so, so i had to rule that one out so the next step was to just take multiple images um and uh with different with different uh focuses uh you know areas of focus mm. and then take them into photoshop and blend them together and there's there is a new sort of blend mode in photoshop okay. which is 
pretty good as long as the lens doesn't move yeah in terms of like massive jump in focus or if it loses focus sometimes the the image will be compressed um when it can't find a spot mm. so you've got to do it manually uh and then it will just sort of stack them all on top of each other it's 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 quite happy incredible. with the results yeah they're okay. yeah they're all right yeah. good <laughs> i enough. mean they just they just look like doorknobs um <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, so that was a real a real technical challenge of something that I'm really not, you know, uh, a professional in, and I don't have a studio or, or anything like that. So yeah, a bit of a bodge, but that was all right. Um, so that's that's gone off, and I've finished work with him, doing loads of stuff, brochure. Um, I've done some branding with him, and um, sort of slowly easing my way back into client work after a very long break. Um, so yeah. I, I, that's also, that kick started me into thinking about sort of repositioning how I am as a freelancer and how I get back into work. Cause you know, I'm 51. Am I 51? And I haven't got a huge, you know, I've probably got like 14 years left. Um, what do I want to do with those? Uh, working. Let's just clarify. Working. Working. Um, yeah. I'd like to work all the way through my life and maybe, mm. you know, I'll go into teaching. So I've probably only got like 13, 14 years left before I can retire. And what do I do with those, with those remaining years? I don't really know. So I'm kind of come up with the idea of a sort of, I, I'd work, been working this way before, but, um, it's easy as a freelancer to either just jump on agencies and go and work in places, which is something mm. I've never done. I uh, don't have any desire to do. Uh, or you start building a client base, um, which is fine, but it's, it's incredibly stressful. You're constantly being an account handler, that kind of thing. So there's a middle, there is a middle ground, but it's whether you can control the business from doing that. And that is by sort of being an add on to an existing business as a sort of design artwork marketing department so that's yeah. where i'm going to be pitching my myself okay. i think yeah i think there's more money in it there's less grunty kind of artworking because you can reject that kind of work and also there's less sort of really big project you know like a large website or whatever something that i just yeah i can't cope with because i'm a one-man band but more sort of advice and, and consulting so i'm thinking of sort of offering like a, a consulting fee um, somewhere you could pay me a small, you know, a, a, a retainer sort of monthly fee. And on that, you get free phone calls and advice because that's all I find myself having done over the last five years or 10 years as a, as a freelancer is giving out a lot of free advice. <laughs> and, <laughs> uh, and, uh, and I think that it's worth money rather than yeah, absolutely. just giving it away with part of the job. So. That's where I'm going to pitch myself. So, I, you know, I'm kind of toying with a new name. Oh. Um, well, it's not – well, it is a new name in terms of it. my my business name is Jonathan Element Design Limited, but I'm thinking of just shortening it to Ed and having a like a little – like a person called Ed who is in – you can add on to your company. So they, so they can call Ed. You can ask Ed. Well, it's a bit Ask Jeeves, that, isn't it? I haven't really worked no, that, kind the of, copy kind through. of works. kind of works, yeah. though. Yeah, and then if I need to bring other people on board, then it's a mini agency, mm. but it's still Ed, um, yeah, rather than me. Anyway, that's I what like I'm that. toying with. Yeah, and I'm thinking of like the website or the branding. 
I'm thinking of using lino cutting, which is something I'm kind of getting into, as the kind of making the illustration. So actually using something that's organic. I, I did toy yeah, really ages nice, quite ago distinctive. With, yeah, with 3D prints, uh, 3D printed things that are photographed. Mm. But I think that's a step too far. And it's not really relevant to what I do, but I think lino is something really visceral and human about it. And uh, so, yeah, I'm I'm toying with those ideas. So, yeah, I, I, I feel... A little bit energized by yeah. energized. That sounds so Californian, but um, no, no, I'm with you. So that's where I've been. So it's a lot of thinking. Sounds good. I like it. Yeah. What have you been uh, working on? I've drawn a lot of spaceships uh, and a lot of other sci-fi bits and pieces. So I've got this tabletop role-playing game that I'm doing some concept art and illustration for. I'm kind of really getting into that now. So getting into a bit of a rhythm of doing stuff quickly and uploading it for feedback and carrying on with other bits and pieces so that's nice i've got some couple of small jobs on uh, an illustration for a uh, kickstarter card game i think they want um, a bunch of different illustrators to do the backs illustrations on the backs of the cards they've got kind of a retro sci-fi thing to do which is nice uh a little bit of logo design as well for uh Someone over at SpaceX, a little side hustle they've got going on. Wow. Um, so that's quite nice, a little variety of jobs going on. Um, and uh, I've been watching a bit of telly, as have you. How how up to date are you on uh, Game of Thrones? Have you watched the latest episode? I think I might be one or two behind. Okay. Um, I fell asleep, didn't I, last time? And I, yeah. I, yeah, so I watched the end of one episode last night and then episode six i think they've it's, yeah. it's jumped forward in time yes i enjoy i enjoyed it i think it's really good i like the yeah. new the new cast of characters it's, it, it took me a little bit of time to figure out who was who but um particularly the children the latest episode has been quite a, a hoo-ha about it because it's it all takes place at night and right. uh it's very very dark and there's oh, a lot okay. of, in the first 15 minutes there's a lot of whispering so it's yeah yeah. very much looking at a dark screen trying to make out what people are saying i find um, i found that um we had resorted to the um uh martin sort of you know if you read the books i think the second mm. one it lost me as a reader because there were just so many sir winner lots so yep. fancy fancy pants um and i think in in this it's a lot more of that like oh we need to go here to sort out the dispute between x y and z and we need yeah. to go there and actually you couldn't care less really um, i think it's it's kind of becoming a bit more focused in the last episode okay um it was my favorite episode yeah i think oh, and, cool uh, uh, i i mean matt smith is just worth every single he's incredible he's i really didn't like the- that i didn't like that casting at all when i read about it but i think he's been absolutely brilliant yeah he's uh he's really He's really very repulsive, good. but compelling mm. to watch. Yeah, yeah, a bit like the Tory uh, party conference. <laughs> no, no, in fact, nothing like the Tory party. No. He's not that repulsive. And I caught up with Rings of Power because I was again I hadn't watched that yeah. for a couple of weeks. Uh, the last episode was excellent. Um, it's a but again, a lo- the the dialogue in it is dog shit. It's really you know it's really bad. There's a well, lot it's of difficult. Uh, it's difficult because Tolkien, it, you know, it's you know, it's a, it's a strange 
sort of rhythm to his language. And, you know, the elves all sound pretentious, don't they? But, you know, it's a, a yeah. hard balance to strike, I think. But uh, yeah, in terms of plot but and it, action, I thought the last episode was an absolute cracker. Yeah, it felt like they'd ripped the, ripped the sticking plaster off the... Uh, if, and the, uh, the effects at the end were mm. insane. Um, yeah, that's yeah, four hundred and fifty million dollars for you. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's excessive, isn't it? I did start watching um, uh, Andor uh, under your recommendation, um, mm. and I watched the first two episodes in a row, uh, yep. which is unlike me, and I loved it. I thought it was oh, thank kind God. of bit noirish, bit Blade Runnery. Do you know it felt a bit like the uh, the Ravenna books in Warhammer? It's kind of like okay. a yeah, there's sort of you know they're sort of chasing down somebody but yeah you know planet who's left the planet but they've got to go somewhere else and it is yes yeah, it's, it's um it's, well i'm glad you're enjoying it because i watched the latest episode today and i think it's the single best 45 minutes of star wars ever well that's, it was yeah. i think it uh it elevates star wars to serious tv although it was oh. absolutely sublime very little happens but it's like a 1970s I don't know, sort of Sydney Pollock film or something. It's really sort of slow and considered, and there's lots of dialogue, uh, beautifully filmed and lit. I just thought it was incredible. It's got some cracking actors, uh, it's, you know, it's sort of Shakespeare, British yeah. Shakespearean actors in it. Yeah. Um, and I think that really helps. I think that's somewhere that um, Rings of Power is really missing a really big actor uh not yeah. just not for not for uh you know publicity or anything like that but just to give it a bedrock of a, a of, bit of gravitas yeah yeah someone who mm. yeah, can really no, take those that's it there's no mckellen or no you, you know, can take that dialogue and turn it into uh into something magical rather than you know the sort of the harrison ford of like you don't have to say this george kind of quote uh, yeah uh the other thing i've watched which i thought was sort of going to be throwaway trashy is The Old Man, which is also on Disney, which is a Jeff Bridges thriller. And he plays an oh, old... Right. An is old, that a new uh, thing? Yeah. Uh, he plays an old CIA or FBI agent or something. And he's kind of on the run from his past and he's been, you know, living uh, low, sort of off the grid, and no one knows who he was. And then his past kind of catches up with him. And I thought it was going to be a bit like Taken, you know, sort of Liam Neeson, just an old guy kicking crap out of younger people. But it's so much better than that. Uh, there are flashbacks to his past 35 years ago in Afghanistan. Uh, and right. that cast, the younger cast, is brilliant. It's got John Lithgow in it as well as kind of his oh, I love him. friend stroke adversary. And the guy who plays the younger version of him is just mesmerising. It's, oh, it's thanks. really, yeah, no, really good. Looking for a, I do like a thriller and there aren't, it's, you know. yeah. It's, yeah, it's no, that sounds great. Great stuff. So that's what I've been watching this week, uh, and that's pretty much that's pretty much it for uh, what I've been up to. All right, okay. Well, yeah, I mean, I've watched those things, and um, I've finished a book that I really enjoyed because I was really hunting for a, a good book to read, um, and I re and I got this off of a podcast that I listened to, which sadly has ended. It's called the Culture Bunker. It's part of the Bunker Podcast uh, sort of family, and they are kind of, I guess, it's like a left wing. Newsnight kind of podcast. Um, but this one is their culture one, which happens on a Saturday. 
this uh, writer was on it called David Keenan, and it's one of his novels called This Is Memorial Device. And it's him sort of, it's memories of him, fragments of memories and essays about him growing up in Airdrie, which, uh, if you don't know, is kind of a town between Glasgow and Edinburgh, pretty run down from all accounts. And it's set in the early 80s um, in the sort of um, alternative music scene and it's about a band that plays a few times and becomes legendary and it's interviews with all the members and people that are involved in it um so it's kind of like a train spotting fiction it's fiction yes burger but he has lived a life based in music writing about music living in airdrie running music shops cool record shops and it's absolutely fantastic it's you know Long sentences, you know, weird narrative structures from some of the characters. And some of it makes absolutely no sense. Some of it's magical. Some of it's realistic. And it's, it's brilliant. Really, really thoroughly enjoyed it. So yeah, excellent. I would really recommend that. And now I'm on to, um, a, I don't know whether you've read this and I did, had no knowledge of the book before, but apparently it, it influenced the early rules of Dungeons and Dragons. It's called The Dying Earth by Jack Vance. Vance? I have you heard? read that i've read a couple by jack vance but i haven't read that so it's a kind of i'd say a sci-fi book i'd say the bulk of it is sort of fantasy so Mm. it's set on an earth that is dying uh, thousands of years in the future probably even further and um so the sun is very close the moon has left and the earth has become a kind of magical place and any kind of technology is described by magic and it's about these magicians that have learned the ways to use magic they re- they can only remember a certain amount of spells at one time by learning these sort of phrases um but everything's you know flying plants and weird snakes and they can was talk it written in to the animals 60s? and yeah yeah it was yeah <laughs> <laughs> but yeah it's um he was friends good friends with frank herbert so it, i don't know it's got these kind of it's got worms in it it's it, it's got all these sort of things that have really come out in modern culture that have you know, you can see where they, the germ of these ideas have, co- have come from. But um, I, I just love the language in it and I love the people. It's it's so sci-fi. I really, really yeah, I'm really enjoying it. It's only, eight, I think it's like 86 pages long. It's not oh, wow. a really tiny book. Um, Sounds good. So I'm about halfway through already. So yeah, that's what I've been up to. Uh, have you got any news this week, Jonathan? So another RIP is Hilary Mantle, um, British writer. Again, uh, so young, really. Yeah, I don't, I don't think she'd been well, had she, for, I, for I, a long, long part of her life. Um, but um, she wrote a book called Wolf Hall, which is a kind of uh, a narrative story about Thomas Cromwell, who was Henry VIII's political advisor, kind of spin man, spin doctor, um, mm. chancellor, his fool um, from Grace. Um, and there's, I think there's three books. I, I, I love the first book, Wolf Hall. Mason, uh, I, I think Wolf Hall is is probably the finest book I've ever read. Like in terms of how beautifully, brilliantly written it is, I think it's astonishing. Yeah, she she was she's she loves a short sentence, um, and you feel like the conversations that are happening, you're there in the room, mm. um, and that it's totally genuine. There's no uh, exposition in any of the dialogue. It's absolutely yep. fantastic. Um, and I've read the second one, but I can't remember reading it. 
So I don't know what was I think going I've read, there. I've read the first one. I think I've read half of the second one. Yeah. I don't know why I didn't. No, and I haven't read any more of her stuff, so I can't say to be, I'm not a mega fan of hers, but The Wolf Hall was a book that I just, you know. Yeah, it's astonishing. It's like John Fowles, The Magus, or um, Secret History by Donna Tartt. It's one of those books, you know, you just read one by that author and you're done. Mm. You know, that's like you're full up. It's like a, you know, a chocolate truffles worth of their work. Um, But yeah, so RIP her. Sorry. Well, first little uh, weird little bit of news. It's there's. It's 50 years since Dungeons & Dragons was uh, created. Oh, having spoken about Dungeons & Dragons. Exactly. Uh, and um, this is a, another thing that we love. Uh, Lego Ideas, who is the, the little bit of the Lego company that takes uh, fans' ideas for sets and they can get voted on and winners get made into sets. So they've got a Dungeons & Dragons competition oh. for ideas to make a 50th anniversary set oh you fancy designing a dungeons and dragons lego set no i don't know it's so difficult i i would just um i would have a lego version of their box and rules and the dice yeah. inside i think that would okay. be with the cre- with the crayon and that yeah. that would or maybe do. just one big d20 yeah, <laughs> I don't know how many you open angles it up. you'd get. You open it up, and there's a dragon inside. <laughs> yeah, I don't. There you you go. see, I think, or a gelatinous cube. You could use. Um, mm. uh, I think, or, or maybe just what the contents of a backpack. I think that would be the nicest way of doing it That'd because be I think quite a, nice, yeah. any animals that or creatures that you do are going to be specific to a particular module or mm. add-on, wouldn't they? I don't know. It's um, or or it gets too Tolkieny. Uh, yeah, so yeah. I'd like, I'd like to see the first box. You know, the red box. I think that yeah. would be awesome. But yeah, I'd love to see what what happens there. Have you got yeah. any ideas what what it should be? Uh, no, but I will have. A, <laughs> I, I might have a proper think about that. How do people design these things? Do they do it in that kind of little Lego builder app? Is that I have how they no do idea. these things? I wonder how different from the original that, that they end up. I mean, obviously, Lego have to go through and make sure that they can make the pieces or mm. that they can scavenge some of the bits yeah. from other sets. Yeah. Uh, I've got another bit of kind of uh, uh, pop culture news. James Earl Jones. There's been a couple of bits like this in the news lately. So James Earl Jones, uh, incredible actor, brilliant in uh, Field of Dreams. And obviously well-known as the voice of Darth Vader, uh, is retiring as Darth Vader. So in, I think in a couple of films and a couple of the games recently, he's done the, the voice of Darth Vader and then they've used kind of digital stuff to kind of make it sound like he used to sound. Um, but he's now retiring and he's signed over the rights to his voice uh, to a company that does this technology to kind of change voices and. They did the younger voice of Mark Hamill for Luke Skywalker in is that the Mandalorian? I think he was in, wasn't he? Yeah, so there's this, this whole thing of, you know, aging actors signing over digital rights. There's been a lot in the news this week about um Bruce Willis signing over the rights to a an AI acting software company. Um but he's got, uh, is it dysphasia? So he can't, he's, he's kind of struggling to continue to act. 
So he's sort of signing over his rights, I guess, as like a pension. But um, okay. it's uh, it's a strange kind of place to be, I think, now with uh, kind of digital actors, isn't it? Yeah, I guess we've got robot politicians. Um, why not have robot <laughs> actors? Um, no, I I don't like the sound of this at all. But then you mm. know, I'm I'm over twenty nine. I mean, you're effectively uh, a luddite. <laughs> For someone surrounded by technology, I'm surprisingly <laughs> luddite. Um, uh, another culture bit of news, um, something that I really want to go and see up to that there, London. Uh, at the National Gallery is the new um, Lucian Freud uh, exhibition. Yes. And it's called Absolutely. New, new Perspectives. I saw a picture in, <clears throat> I think it was, I think it might have been on Twitter actually. Of this painting of this lady, uh, his first first wife called Caroline Blackwood. Mm. She was an heir of the Guinness Fortune and um, uh, a very uh, striking lady. Um, and it's called Girl in Bed. Um, yeah. Oh my god! The, I just want to see that picture. Uh, I don't know. There's something about it. It's just it just stopped me in my tracks. It's just it's just captured human emotion. Utterly yeah. perfectly. I know later on he was famous for slabs of meat. Yeah. It's strikingly different to his other stuff. So striking. I mean, obviously all artists change, but the difference between that and his, his very late work, which as you say is kind of these really fleshy paintings with the, the paint really kind of, you know, spatulate on. Um, it's just remarkable. I mean, that really reminds me of Stanley Spencer's style. Yes, and and before that, like it's almost open in the way that it's just a very light use of paint, and almost mm. it feels like the flesh is stretched over a three dimensional shape behind it. I, you know, it the the paint itself isn't giving that depth to it. I, ju- I just want to go and see it. I, I just yeah. I think it's astonishing. Um, so it's yeah, just on that's on. When that is, when is that on? I'll just give it you some It started dates. this month. It started on the 1st, I think. <clears throat> yeah, it's on until the 22nd of January uh, mm. next year. And you have to um, you have to book to go and see it. Um, yeah, have you I seen how much be... it is, by the way? No. 24 quid. <laughs> to go around, lot, three, go around three rooms. I know. Oh, I mean, I'm God. still going to go the see it, but it's a lot, isn't prices. it? Prices. Yeah, it's ridiculous. I've just been sent a... Uh, on on the back of that, I've been sent an email by Hannah Muller, who um, the paper mill that, or the paper merchants that make most of the papers that I use, eighteen percent price rise in January. Well, it was a six percent. Have last trees month. become more scarce? I think they have since they. Uh, no, I don't know, but eighteen percent is insane, right? We've got some real problems coming our way in terms of uh, artists trying to sell our work. Um, we've got 19 days of postal strikes over the next two months. Yep. Uh, 18% prices rise in paper. We've got massive increases in uh, electricity. So I think that art, especially printed art, is going to become a lot more expensive and therefore a lot more undesirable. How do we turn that into something positive? I don't want to see my bit. I mean, I'm never going to start printing on cheap paper or anything like that, but, um, I think there's a limit of what people expect to pay. Um, and obviously my prints are now much, much cheaper, uh, abroad, especially yeah. America, but then I've lost out massively on the postage. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I think we're going to just see a death of, uh, of exporting anything. 
Um, it's really tricky. Yeah, I don't is, really know a way around it. We should have lunch and discuss that. But yeah, I think it's going to be a real struggle for big print businesses in terms mm. of putting putting up your price by eighteen percent. I mean, then that gets reflected in whatever profit margin you've added to that. Yeah. Um. So I think print is going to get a whole lot more expensive, and small producers of art, um, people who are using you know suppliers like awesome merchandise who've done all the wrong things. Where are you going to go? I don't know. Yep. Very tricky. Did we talk about Saudi Arabia's giant uh, vertical horizontal city? Yes, we did. Ago? Yeah. We did. No, Numa, Noma, Numa. New, Neom. 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 Uh, yeah. On the back of that. We laughed uh, heartily, didn't we? Didn't we? Half a <laughs> trillion pounds they're planning to spend on it. Uh, on the back of that, Saudi Arabia, are you ready, John, has just won the bid to host the 2029 Asian Winter Games. What? Yes. Skiing, okay. ice skating, oh, yeah, curling, mm -hmm. I assume. Uh, yeah, so they're going to build uh, a winter sports park in the mountains of Saudi Arabia, which generally gets a day or two snow a year, apparently. It goes against everything the IOC stands for in their recent kind of bidding framework document, which is, you know, countries must be reusing existing facilities or if they're new facilities, they should be recyclable, reusable, temporary. Uh, and, um, yes, uh, I, I mean, I, I can't imagine Saudi Arabia greased any palms to, to win that bid. Can you? I don't know what to say about that one. Absolutely bonkers. So another bonkers thing, uh, another business thing is um, the government this week uh, in, in that they haven't U-turned on yet, but they probably will because it's so ridiculous, is yep. GDPR. Um, they've announced that they're going to replace GDPR, um, which is just stupid. They're going to replace it with, with, with a, a British version wrapped in the Union Jack. Yeah, well, GDPR is a process that they're obviously labelling as an EU. Red tape, quagmire. Yeah. Um, but actually, GDPR was produced by the UK because we mm -hmm. were part of the EU and yep. was then subsequently slightly altered by the UK. It's a gold standard of um, privacy for consumers. All other nations look towards it as a sort of a benchmark. Any other countries that have their own standards have to be approved by a GDPR to, uh, by the European Union to get into, to be able yep. to sort of um, uh, interface with it. Um, and we are saying we're going to throw that out with all the costs that's happened over the last few years of adapting to this new legislation. And we're going to replace it with our own. Is this part and of... Uh Reese Mogg's kind of bonfire of uh, EU regulations. Oh, I don't know. It's um, Michel Donalon, Danalon, Donalon, Donalan. <laughs> I'll get it right in a bit. Uh, so she she mentions uh, I don't know five countries: Japan, New Zealand, Israel, Canada, and South Korea as ones that you know should we we should be looking to. And I've looked them all up. I spent an hour yesterday going through all this. And uh, so Japan have um, updated their own privacy um, laws to bring it on par with GDPR. Uh, New Zealand, uh, when they're working with EU customers, uh, in their law say that 
their companies have to adapt to GDPR. Israel is more strict than GDPR. Canada is more strict. South Korea is one of the world's strictest privacy regimes. And all of them are listed under the EU's adequacy decisions, which is this board that determines whether nations can interface with, uh, you know, data and pass data back. I mean, can you just imagine the absolute shit show if we were to cast it aside? Uh, well, it's just the cost, isn't it? I mean, whatever they implement, the cost of implementing it uh, is yeah. way above the, you know, coming up with these laws. And this is what I'm so cross about in this country at the moment is that, you know, I know we're in decline. I know we've got problems, blah, 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 blah. But we're stuck at this kind of loop of impossible ideas um, and lack of ability to see beyond the ideas. So, mm. you know, a policy gets made up. It comes out and it's impossible to implement or it causes massive turmoil. And it's then, just because there's an absolute lack of intellect in government. It's just and not, has been for the last decade. Yeah. I, don't, I mean, I don't know. I mean, you know, it's mindless, utter mindless. Mm. It's, just, it's vandalism, smashing something up and then realizing, you know, like smashing a telephone box up and then realizing you've got you've you've cut your arm and you've got to call the ambulance but you're going to bleed out to death because you've smashed the, uh, the yeah. telephone um yeah so uh yeah that's it uh let's go on to some cheery stuff what have you got <laughs> actually on the same subject i did you see the picture of the uh the cover of the new european last week yes a, uh, i did there's a fant um you know a lot of design is all highfalutin or whatever, but you know, weekly magazines, you know, like the private eye or whatever, have to yeah. come up with covers. They have to be snappy and eye catching. And this one is a picture of a wonderful chance of the exchequer walking along on a, he's um, on a black background. And there's a graph of the, um, the British pound coming out from uh, his crotch level and dipping down below the page in bright yellow. And it's the title is Britain's trickle down economy debacle. <laughs> It's, no, it's very good absolutely cover. perfect. Absolutely yeah. brilliant. Well done then. Yeah. Yeah. Our current uh, chancellor, that is probably not for much longer. Mm, uh, have I got any chirpy news? No, I haven't really. Uh, Elon any- Musk m- might be buying Twitter again oh, after wanting to buy it. They're not buying it. Now he wants to buy it again, but only if they drop the court case against him. So he probably won't end up buying it. I hate that man. He's I such an him. idiot. He's very much like our government. He's such an idiot. For someone who's, you know, obviously smart in many ways, he's such an idiot. Um, But that's, you know, I haven't got any good news about that, John. So should we go? We've got a topic this week, haven't we? Yeah, we have. um, I've got one design. We we meant to be design news. Uh, Bonnier Books have got a new visual identity. Um, Studio Evoke have designed a... uh, an icon from them. It looks like they've kept all of their existing, um, you know, uh, letter forms and strap lines and all that kind of stuff. But they've created this little B for Bonnier. Um, and I think it's lovely. And there's a lovely animation that um, has been made. I don't think it's been, I think it's been made by a third party. I can't. Oh, that's really um, nice. Um, and it's like a flicking page. So the B has got a, a, a sort of a feather pulled out to the left hand side. Um, that reflects the the B, you know, the two curves of the middle of the B yeah. pulled out the other way. So they've folded it in half. It's like two pages. And they just made this sort of really delightful textured animation. Um, Very nice. I think, that is. I think it's fantastic. So well yeah. done, Studio Evoke. Uh, yeah, and whoever nice animated it, 
uh, buff motion. So there you go. Buff motion. Well done, buff motion. Yeah, well done. We, are, you, you put out a tweet um, on September the 22nd, so not that long ago, saying, if you are a listener to the podcast, we would love to hear from you. Still enjoying the show? Seen something we should mention? Got a pie recommendation? We had one reply. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Um, from uh, Space Woman Graphics. Um, uh, she, she says, I think, I assume it's a she, um, have enjoyed the show for a few years now. Jealous of the pies. A wee bit curious to hear about how much daily graft is put into your creative lives and whether you are satisfied with the output. I think that's a fantastic question. Um, yeah. And I think it's something that every creative person thinks about and probably avoids in some way. So I'm going to hand it over to you, Rob, to, uh, to come up with an answer of how you, what you think of this question. Well, how much daily graft? It's very difficult as a creative person, I think, to measure your time accurately. Because I think as a creative person, you spend a lot of time thinking about work. You know, if you press the timer simply when you were, you know, moving the mouse around, designing something, or just when you had the pen in your hand, drawing something, and that's what you build for, you'd be doing yourself a, an incredible disservice because an awful lot of the work is in your head thinking. And that thinking can go on you know, way before and way after the normal working day. It could be while you're doing other chores, can be, you know, you can be thinking about work while you're washing up or you can be thinking about one job while you're doing another. Um, so it's really difficult, I think, to pin down, you know, how productive you are or, or what the kind of productive time of your day is. I mean, I sit at my desk for, you know, a good eight hours a day. Can I bill for all eight hours a day? No, absolutely not. But, I mean, some days you can, you know, if you kind of get into a a particular task, you know, you can be working solidly for hours at a time. But other times, you, you know, it's kind of more bitty uh, and there's an awful lot more uh, thoughtful pauses. Wouldn't you say? Are you more, I'm, I'm quite bad at managing my time, but um, are you more focused when you're, when you're in a, in the middle of a job, are you quite focused? Historically, yes, definitely. When you know we had the little agency and times before that, you'd work out what you're going to do in the week and you'd just grind through whatever mm. it was. I, um, I think because I worked in the studio and I kind of either ran it or was involved in managing certain aspects of, of a of a studio then you would know what your goals were and you'd have wriggle room for other stuff coming in. So it was very much a sausage factory. You're not sitting there imagining, you know, mm. thinking about what's going to happen. You're thinking about, right, how am I actually going to do this? And then every other bit of waking hour when you're walking home or getting, you know, driving home or whatever, you're thinking about how you're going to deal with the stuff coming in tomorrow but i think if you're at the sort of the real cutting edge of creativity so i would say if you're a, an illustrator an artist or someone similar to that a writer someone who is really creating completely bespoke work off their own back without much of a brief um 
Does that make sense? Yeah. I think then you need to, then a hell of a lot of the time will be not at the coalface. It will be like you say, it will be cogitating, walking, thinking. And I don't think you can make that into something that you can just turn on and off. So when you read about a lot of writers and artists, they will work, you know, they say, oh, well, I get up at six in the morning and I work till lunchtime and then I, you know, then I have an hour and then I work blah, 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 and I'll write 3,000 words a day or whatever Mm. it is. And I think that's just a way of of giving yourself that pressure because otherwise you just fill it with the thinking time and you don't make anything. Yeah. So uh, I think it's a, there's a delicate balance to be had between producing and creating. I don't think necessarily most people create at the same time as thinking. Do they? No, I don't know. That's a really good point. Actually. I think your kind of thinking time should almost be a separate, separate section of your day or, you know, however you split up your time for tasks you know that kind of thinking isn't necessarily creating creating isn't always necessarily doing no the other tension that i have in my life is since having <laughs> had it been an agent's been on my own um i've had to sort of like how do you sort your thoughts and one way is obviously using a uh, a list of you know whether that's on a computer or on a piece mm. of paper but it's becoming too beholden to that. And therefore, um, it, especially if you're a little bit obsessive like I am, is that if I haven't completed the tasks that I've put on the list, then that makes me very anxious and very, and it makes me very, it makes it very hard for me to be creative because I'll yeah. just put on that list. I'll have, you know, really technical things like you need to renew your, uh, uh, your car insurance and you need to go and do this and you need to, um, pick somebody up from XYZ. And before you know it, your whole day is mapped out with these micro tasks yeah. and you actually haven't left any time to yourself for thinking or being creative in any way. So mm. you've definitely got to blast a hole in your day where there's no uh, interruption or um, anybody trying to poke in your work, your own worst enemy, yourself trying to stop yourself from being creative because it's really hard, isn't it? It is. Have you ever for yourself or worked in a place that's one of these kind of places that allows you a certain amount of time to do your own thing? Or have you ever set aside like a, a half a day a week to do, to work on your own personal projects while you've, you know, client work for a, Four, four and a bit days. And- no, no, it's never worked for me. I'm too, I'm too anxious, and I, you know, it's probably why I'm. I've never made a lot of art, um, mm. even though I'm quite arty, because I can't focus on it. I'll be worrying about making money the whole time, and I think, oh, this isn't going to make money. I can go and do something else. Yeah. Um, that's why I fa- thought it was such a brilliant question. Um, of all the hundreds that poured in, was that no? <laughs> it's actually really great. Um, an interesting it's, discussion. It's definitely easier when it's out of your hands. You know, if you're working for someone else or you're working as part of a uh, a company, you know, like a studio or whatever. Um, it's definitely easier because you don't have the the stress of thinking about that aspect of the job. You know, you've got tasks to complete and you complete them. Yeah, when you're I think working you've... on your own, or you're kind of managing your own time or even the the work you're doing is for yourself. So self-initiated projects, whether that's creating stuff for a store or, you know, work to sell or whatever, it's, it's much more difficult when it's, it's just down to you to, to kind of manage your own time. I think you have to be in a certain time in your life, uh, especially 
in um, art or design. I think you have to have a lot of freedom. So i.e. children, <laughs> <laughs> wives, husbands, etc. That dilutes your ability to be able to sort of compartmentalize your life from other things. And then there's a certain tipping point where my life became I was much more interested in, and I still probably am in that at the moment, is I'm much more interested in running my household and family and I do other things like I'm a school governor and I spend a lot of time doing that. And so therefore you lose the time or the inclination to spend time on graft. Um, Mm. And it's interesting when you work for an agency and I think, you know, a lot of people out there will work in an agency so if you're well i'd say you know the the coalface and you're an artwork or a designer a lot of the stuff is delivered into you and um a lot of the time is managed you, you know you're given deadlines but they're not normally unless you're working for, you know newspaper or adverts or something like that yeah. they're not normally uh you know you're not going to lose your job if you go a few yeah. hours over or or whatever but you know that you start on a monday you finish on a friday you might have to work the occasional weekend but that that's it and so therefore your creative outside of that time can be used to recuperate research do reading outside it you know whatever yeah. um, and similarly if you're a creative director or an account manager or whatever and you're going out and getting the work you 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 get that work in but then you drop it like a bomb into the production so therefore you you know you're off to the next thing so yeah everyone's moving along a path all the time and i don't think that's the case for freelancers or people who are working on their own stuff yeah and i think it's incredibly uh difficult I'm not going to, I don't have any solutions or techniques to it. I think you've just got to create a space, a time when you can just sit and work without any distractions. That's yeah. really important. For me as well, managing the amount of work I've got on is, is important. I mean, you always want to have work and you always want to have work kind of coming up. But if my to-do list gets too long or I've got too many clients that I need to do work for, I find it absolutely paralyzing uh you know if there's too much work to do i can do none of it it's uh tough yeah so you have to kind of you know strike a balance between you know having enough to keep you going and not so much that you know you freeze yeah. for me yeah it's it, it's really really tough isn't it it is but saying that i prefer it to working in a studio freelancing I just couldn't, I just couldn't go back and do it. I think, you know, did I, did I burn myself out doing what I was, you know, working in, in uh, production? Probably. I don't know. I'm trying to, I'm trying to find that, that spark. I'm lucky I've got loads of other outputs to not have to worry about it. But I think if I was having to, if I was living on my own again and I was um, trying to make money to pay the rent, you know, I would do the easy thing and get a job or I would, yeah. uh, you know, buckle very quickly and get a, you know, I'd go out and find some clients to, or mint, to do some mint, design. Mint some NFTs. Yeah, but I wouldn't have the mental capacity to to do the daily graph, to do, you know, to be an illustrator in in one strand of things. Um, I, I've proved that by failing regularly through my life. <laughs> so, um, yeah. But uh, thank you very much for the question. It was Yeah, it's brilliant. a great question. Uh, more of that, please. So if you're listening and you've got something you want us to talk about or a question about 
what we do and how we do it, please do tweet. It's the best way to get in touch. Yeah, I've been reading. Um, I've got. I had some other newsy bits, but there's a designer called Andy Budd. He, uh, he's a web designer kind of guy. Um, but he's really good at these kind of soundbite on uh, Twitter, and he's always been a. I think he's had a brilliant. He's been around for a long time, but he's always had mm. a brilliant way of looking at the world and being able to disseminate arguments that go on in design. Um, and he uh, he had a, a thread that sort of sums this up um, in a lot of ways. But this is design. This is about designers. But it says uh, the thread starts. Designers are great at spotting problems and offering up solutions in brackets, or if they're good, processes that will help generate good solutions and validate them, which is something I've always banned. <laughs> banged on about about being a good designer is creating a process rather than the final solution but he says you know and then he so he'll say something like that which you know you get quite a lot on twitter but then he'll sort of he tempers it with to us this feels like we're being super helpful however to the people who are ultimately responsible for the product and whose ideas and decisions went into making the current version of the product this can feel hugely threatening and that's so true. That's such yeah. a brilliant description of the tension that happens between client and designer or client and artist. I, d- I, I don't know. but um, Yeah, and all the other parties involved in the process as well, isn't it? You know, because the person who necessarily, who sometimes gets in touch with the designer to do some work isn't always the owner of the, the stuff that's going to be replaced or changed or modified, are they? Yeah. Well, so he so he then he comes up with a few iterations, but he sort of he he sums up by saying, "I, I honestly don't know what the answer is, but I've seen this pattern play out more times than I can recall." <laughs> I'm with you there, Andy Bud. <laughs> uh, designers trying to help being met with defensiveness come from a place of ego and reputation management. I guess the kung fu way would be to make stakeholders think your solution was theirs. That is the art of designing without designing. There's an awful lot uh, of that. I'll sign off on that because I think that's such a brilliant little thread. But yeah, he's like yeah, f- go and follow him. He's uh, at Andy Bud. Um, he's full of pithy epithets. Cool. That's what we what we need. We like a pithy epithet. <laughs> Web- website of the week, isn't it? Uh, website of the week. Uh, I'll quickly do website of the week. Uh, I've had it uh, on the on the notes for a while. Uh, it's called the kids should see this, uh, and it is a website that. Uh, curates, aggregates, uh, collects uh, mainly video content for kids. Uh, so it's a Webby award-winning collection of over 5,000 kid-friendly videos created for teachers and parents who want to share smarter, more meaningful media in the classroom and at home. And it's got all sorts of stuff. So it's a, just at the top of the page at the minute. How a Stradivarius trumpet is made. What happens when beavers are reintroduced to England? Uh, why do we need biodiversity? How do bison survive harsh winters? And it's like a an instant repository for answers to all the questions that, you know, as a teacher or a parent, you might get asked. It's fantastic. Uh, it's really good. And it's, it's, a, uh, it's like how websites used to be uh, interesting and not curated in time in terms of like, what will people want to see? It's yeah. just like, here's some random things. A load of good stuff. Yeah. Um, so the kids should see this.com. Oh, that's well fantastic. Yeah. Mine is not so much a website. It's a YouTube channel. Um, I think I might've mentioned this chat before, but I've been watching quite a lot of uh, lino cutting videos mm-hmm. recently. Um, and this chat is Danish. He's called Emil Underberg. 
Bergsk. Very good. Uh, and uh, he, his, I'd say his illustration style is similar to mine in many ways in terms of black and white line, but actually his is much well better and <laughs> uh, and looser and more sort of uh, gothic. Um, Just the the thumbnail of that kind of looks like Tolkien crossed with Aubrey Beardsley. Yeah, I so like he, it. He um he he makes lino prints um and he prints onto beautiful Japanese paper, really thin. It's it's easier to actually print onto thin paper, but he just does these brilliant videos. I love them. They're just they're completely silent generally, so there's no soundtrack to them, no plinky plonky music, and it's just a top down video of him carving lino. And nice. That, if that sounds boring, then watch some Lord of the Rings. <laughs> Sounds great to me. So onwards to pies. Pies. Here's my pie, John. For the viewers at home, I'm showing John my pie. It's got little caramelised onions on top. Oh, I get you. Yeah. It's a a pie minister. I'm sure we've had this one before. It's a pie minister moo pie, which is their steak and craft ale. Craft ale? I'm not sure we've had craft ale. Oh, yeah. Uh, It's very crispy pastry. Like I say, it's got kind of... uh, caramelized sort of dried onions even though it's been sat there for 15 minutes it's still very hot smells absolutely fantastic it smells like a pie you would get in a pub so i'm just going to have a bite it's going to be very hot you might have to um talk while i burn my mouth john if yours is the uh the zenith mine is definitely below the nadir <laughs> oh is it yeah well, so that is an exceptional pie is it that's really good pie minister ones are really good aren't they they are excellent that's great. That's getting a nine. Whoa. A nine out of ten. Just delicious. Mine is pucker. A, pu- a pucker, which I Chicken have reviewed. Chicken Chicken. When would stuffing ever be in a pie? <laughs> this was. This is just for two. Um, it's uh, it's two two pounds thirty four reduced. But what I saw in the ingredients was just these things that they shouldn't exist. Kibbled <laughs> onion. What is a kibbled onion? Well, I don't know. But kibble is dog food, right? Yeah. Kibbled onion and pea fibre. No, we're not going to give you not peas. peas. Just no pea peas. Fiber. Just the fibre. How um, strange. So, yeah. So, uh, this is a, yeah, it's a chicken and stuffing pie. It's, it looks, I mean, it looks like it came when it came out of the freezer that it hasn't changed colour. Just it's massive. The, just for the listeners at home, I can tell you that the look of disappointment on John's face before he's even tasted this pie is something to behold. Well, puckers are a bit football pie, aren't they? They are. John's using his traditional gold cutlery. It's bronze, actually. <laughs> right. It's so, had two bites, so it can't be that bad. No, it's not bad. The pastry is really dry and not crispy. The filling, there's not much of stuff. I haven't had a stuffing ball or a kibbled onion. But Would you know a kibbled onion if it... No. I think my dogs would. Hmm. It's incredibly salty, like, you know, hot, immediate, like Elvis dead on a toilet salt and <laughs> an overwhelming herby flavour. It's not unpleasant. I mean, you know, if it had a load of mashed potato with it and I had a couple of pints and I watched some rugby, I you'd would be, scoff you'd be it. fine with it, yeah. So it's going to get... <laughs> I can only give it a six, I'm afraid, because of the saltiness. That's a lot better than I was expecting, John. Yeah, it's not It's not dreadful. <laughs> mm. So there we go. I suggest you buy your own pie next week. No, she came back with like five or six. Oh, okay. Them. So they're all in the freezer waiting for me. I know I'd, I'd quite like to go out and 
by a pie. <sighs> Quite like to be out, out of my box. <laughs> uh, well, that was uh, that was a lovely um, hour and seven minutes, John. Yeah. So, uh, well, thanks for listening. So we've covered loads and loads of stuff there, mainly media, a little bit of design, and we've had a little chat about how do you get out of bed and think about work. Uh, haven't come up with any ideas. No. But uh, but it's definitely, if you've got we're, any thoughts. We're here to offer questions, not answers. Yeah. We're here to question and to dispute. And to eat pies. That's I'm all right. out of pies. Oh, mate. you eaten it already? No, no, no. All right. Well, uh, that was good. Go. Yeah. Really good to talk to you, John. See, see uh, you next week. Absolutely. Absolutely.